0: Want to go to Psalms chapter 14, Psalm 14, and I want to teach a little bit tonight about the psychology of atheism. We want to look at what the scripture says. I'm surprised at the number of people we all run into that either have family members that are married someone who do not believe in a God at all, or are somehow connected to some friends that don't believe in God. And I know just as a pastor, there have been more than one occasion where I've been preparing for a funeral, and I've had family members come to me and say, Pastor, you need to know so-and-so in our family is an atheist, and they're going to be at the funeral, and there's a possibility that they uh, might uh, stand up and causing cause some kind of an outburst or get up and walk out or something like that as you're, you're preaching and, and they already know I'm not changing anything that I'm going to say, but I usually just let them know. Don't worry about that. God's bigger than all of that. I'm not sure how many people actually want to create it, create an outburst so that they'll create a memory at a funeral that nobody will ever forget. But I said the people that come through the doors of the church, Expect a preacher to talk about God and salvation. So I said, I'm here to fulfill every expectation to preach the gospel and proclaim what the scriptures say. Now, in Psalm chapter 14, verse one, you'll notice here it says the fool hath said in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, if you're familiar with this psalm, you'll probably know that the first six verses, in particular the first four verses, are identical to Psalm 53. And they say pretty much the same thing. But atheism is not new. The Israelites dealt with it. They had to meet it head on. King David lived approximately a thousand years before Jesus was born. And as you can see here from this line in the song that he wrote for the Hebrew mu- musicians, he says that the person who doesn't believe in God is a is a fool. They say there is no God. Now that, that's a statement that can not be made unless somebody goes through some kind of period of reflection. They, they've taken time to study and to look at creation and maybe to look at some of these other things, possibly some scripture, but haven't having looked at all of that, they then reject it out of hand. And they just say, I don't believe there's a, there's a God at all. A friend of mine, when I was preaching a camp meeting years ago, he was a retired scientist from a university in California. And he approached me afterwards, and he was the former head of the Department of Biology and, and Physics. And I, I, I wanted to know, how could somebody like you, being a Bible-thumping liter- literalist, survive in an academic atmosphere that supports evolution as strong, strongly as, as they do? And he told me that in his study of it, and he's probably... Close to 80 now. He told me in his study of atheism and so much of what the evolutionists teach, he said he find most of the arguments unconvincing when he study them in detail. However, he told me that most scientists have better arguments than preachers. And he said most scientists scientists know a little bit about the Bible, but the average preacher, theologian, or Christian know very little about the scientific vocabulary that people use in trying to describe some of these things. So that, that got me to thinking, if, if the complexities of the language are that great, then it's, it's good to become acquainted with a little bit of that. So I started reading a few journals years ago, just to try to come up to date on some of these things. I'm not talking about like National Geographic and the, the Smithsonian, but some of these other magazines like the National History, uh, Na- Natural History, I should say. And when you study these different magazines and you read articles by atheists, there are a number of similar conclusions that they all come to. They have certain beliefs that they all hold, and these are things that they, for the most part, think are, uh, you know, something that cannot be overturned. When when Tiffany was going to a, a Presbyterian school here in this state. They brought a gentleman by the name of Stephen J. Gould to speak in the chapel now this this man was a he's an atheist he's probably the most popular evolutionist that had been around for the, for the past fifty years and if he wasn't at the chapel, I know he was there to give a lecture, but he also wrote a book that's about fifteen hundred pages called the The Structural Theory of Evolution so I was interested in all that. Why is it that? all of this stuff related to Mr. Uh, Darwin is so popular. When you go back and read Mr. Darwin's Descent of Man and the Origin of the Species and all of that, you find that th- that is the foundation for a lot of what in the 19th century was was racism and, and, and a prejudice kind of belief. And, and out of that has come this whole scientific theory That is continued, but I'm going to take a paragraph, and in less than 60 words, just kind of sum up the basic belief and the teaching of so much of this stuff related to evolution, and and, and here it is. Nothing existed nearly 5 billion years ago, but a random act caused a big bang, out of which came various complex life forms. Of all that was spawned, mankind, by means of random incidents, or by the luck of the draw, emerged over millions of years to be a, a conscious intellectual being that evolved from mandrills or primates or monkeys. The explanation, for many people, is scientific. And Mr. Gould honestly believes that the coming into being of things worked out in a, in a fashion sort of like lottery number. You know, people turn the television on each night and they want to look, see what numbers come out and, and whether or not they're going to win. But the, the man failed to see by using that analogy, though. The only way the lottery numbers, you know, the only way they circulate and they pop out, there's someone pushing a button. They're not just jumping around on their own, you see. So this this whole idea of the cause and effect, he he seems to believe, as most ever evolutionists do believe that you can get orderliness out of chaos now someone will wonder why then would there be any kind of connection between evolution and atheism well the main reason there very often is is because with evolutionary theory as i just simplified it for you there's no need for god and since there's no need for god they don't usually argue for the existence of God or the presence of God. And that's how Mr. Darwin was. He essentially was agnostic. He had come to the conclusion that there could not be a God because he doesn't need him in his theory at all. But here's something else that is uh, somewhat interesting, though. Science treats what they believe as observations to be facts but they think religion is something strictly that deals with how we behave. So they say the Bible deals with a person's behavior, but it does not give us historically reliable material. That's, that, that's important for the belief of evolutionists and certainly for someone who's an atheist. That atheist doesn't think the Bible is true. So if we say Jesus died on the cross, some will argue that Jesus never even existed. If you talk to some of them about the fact that Luke speaks of the names of emperors and he he names certain governors in the book of Acts, they'll say, well, 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 that might be true, but the whole book isn't true. So since the whole book isn't true, you can't really trust any of it without ever taking time to consider that uh, there are people who put their trust in academics in the same way as we trust the word of almighty God. There's, There's no doubt about it. When, when I was sitting in an airport in California, and this, I think I've told you this several times, and this monk, he, 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 he kind of engaged me in a conversation as I was waiting to get my ticket. And he asked me, he said, what were you doing here in California? I said, I was here preaching a, a revival. And he said, a revival? He said, now what is that? So I then went and explained to him what a revival is, the best way I thought he could understand it. I said, well, have you ever heard of, of uh, Billy Graham? He said, yeah. I said, well, I said I like Billy Graham, but I said, Billy Graham don't go far enough for me in what I preach and what I believe. I said, you ever heard of Or Roberts? He said, oh, yes, heard Or Roberts. I said, well, Or Roberts goes a little bit further than I want to go. I said, you, I said, you ever heard of Jimmy Swaggart? He said, oh, yes, that's, that's, that's that guy on, on television. I said, yeah, I, said, I, I, I believe what he believes. Well, of course, at that time, that's where my wife and I had come out of as far as our, our, our preaching. So I got my ticket, I went and sat down, he followed me over to where I was seated, and then I could tell he wanted to talk. You know how you get around people and you can tell they want to start a conversation. You're trying to look down, but you can feel somebody looking at you. So I I looked over there, (laughs) I looked over there and he 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 started asking me again about scripture. I said, Well, I said, I I believe the Bible to be the word of God. He said, You one of them people that believe there's a Heaven and hell. I said, yes. He, he got real loud. He said, you you're trying to tell me in front of all these people sitting in that airport. He said, you you're trying to tell me, well, all these people are here, some that may, some that may not believe in God. You're trying to tell me that the only people going to go to heaven are the people that believe in Jesus and the people that don't believe in Jesus are going to go to hell. So by now, everybody's looking <laughs> because he's loud. Well, like I've told you before, I'm a former Marine, so I wasn't going to be outdone. I said, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. (laughs) Anybody that doesn't believe in Jesus is lost. That's what I said. I just just as loud as as that. And um, then he went on and started confessing to me that he was a former monk. And he said he walked away from the monastery because he no longer believed in God. But then he told me, he said, I'm down, I think it was Arizona or somewhere. He said, I'm down in Arizona. And he said, I do want you to know we, we have the most wonderful church that we go to. I said, church? He said, yes. He said, I go to a church where the pastor is an atheist and the piano player in the church is an agnostic. He says, a church, you don't even have to believe in God. I said, so why would anybody want to go to a church where nobody believes in God, you see? He wanted to hold on to the form of a religion while saying at the same time he didn't believe in God at all. Now, there are a lot of people like that, not many, but there certainly are people in this world that are like that. He's under the impression that you cannot trust what Scripture says when Scripture talks about history, when it talks about creation, when it talks about redemption or salvation. But he's one of these guys that thinks that there are nice ethical teachings in the scripture that'll be beneficial to everybody so people need to know about them. so for him jesus wasn't a savior but he was a philosopher that's the difference he was a he was a philosopher uh, one of the things you, you need to know when you're uh, having conversations or talking with atheists they will pound this very strongly they will say that believers in genesis chapter one are anti-intellectual you're not thinking people If you honestly believe now, let me just read a couple of verses from here. So you know exactly what it is. Genesis one says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. If you believe that. They'll say you are anti intellectual, and they'll use phrases like that to win the argument. They'll pound it in. Evolution is science. It is science. But then when you read the textbooks, each author over and over again tells you it's a theory. It's a theory. But they will pound it in. It's a science. Now, the only thing that's scientific in the description of evolution is the vocabulary that's used to describe the theory. That's very academic. They use a lot of words very often that are difficult to understand. But language is important in any kind of debate. In, in 1999, in the state of Kansas, they, they had uh, the, the folks that kind of threw out the evolution teaching and brought in creationism or intelligent design. They wanted it taught to the young people. Well, there was such an uproar across the nation and in different places that they began to say that Kansas is now about to re-enter the dark ages because they're moving away from science and they're moving over into this faulty theory of intelligent design as if God has made all of this. We're going back to where we're just going to start teaching the Bible in school again. It's indoctrination, it's indoctrination, it's indoctrination. But nobody ever stops to think that whether you indoctrinate somebody with Genesis chapter 1 or whether you teach them evolution, it's still indoctrination. You were introducing somebody to a system somewhere that somebody believes. And in the year 2000, the whole thing was overturned, and then a whole lot of people were happy. So very often we lose the debate because of language. They, they like to say we're not scientific, we're not brilliant, we're not bright. If you trust scripture, you can't be correct, and it all goes under the guise of scientific. Now, if you don't believe me, th- this is how, this is how the the uh, the uh, same sex debate ended up gaining ground in America, because the the people involved with homosexuality they they took their predicament and made it a civil rights issue. That's what they did, civil rights issue, and and they somehow connected the prohibition against a man's right to sodomize another man with the compulsion a black person had to, to go through is sitting in the back of the bus. Now, I can't change the color of my skin. I was born with this, but I can choose who I fornicate with. See, And that's the difference. That's the difference. It's, it's a matter of language. And this is how individuals very often they win or they lose the debate on the basis of how they understand this. Now, David said a person is a fool if they do not believe in God. So that that person has thought about this. They thought about all the facts. They thought about what's been, been promoted by religious people, and they come to the conclusion that it can't be true. Atheists also think Christians are slavish thinkers. That means they're under the impression that we don't know how to think for ourselves. So we need a book to tell us what it is that we're supposed to think. Now they don't They don't consider at all that everything that's controlling their thoughts was written down by somebody else back in the 19th century. However, it's the belief that Genesis cannot be correct. And that's where the battle always is. Never forget that Genesis one and one in the beginning. God, it's the battle over the beginning and it's the battle over God. If you don't stumble over that fourth word, God, you're not going to have any trouble with anything in this book. But if you have a problem with the beginning, And you have a problem with the word God, you're probably not going to believe that God made man. Certainly not going to believe he made the stars and the mountains. If you disagree with that, you're not going to believe that God made a garden and put Adam and Eve in it and that they ultimately sinned. And man now, according to Romans, is born with original sin. You're not going to believe any of that because you're going to say it's not right that that would happen. You're also not going to believe the flood story. You're not going to believe that God took Abraham with that man Made a family. From that family created a tribe. From that tribe made a nation. From that nation brought a savior. You're going to have a difficulty believing that God chose one nation amongst all the nations of the world and they became the apple of his eye. And you're certainly going to struggle with the idea of Jesus being born of a virgin, living entirely without sin, dying on the cross for our our sins, satisfaction. Uh, for the, the wrath of God that was due to us, interposing himself between God and us, receiving the penalty that should have equally come to us because of our sins. And you're going to struggle with the fact that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And I know you're going to have a problem with the book of Revelation. That one day the Lord's going to come back and he's going to judge all of this stuff. The implications of this are great. But if you understand that the mentality of someone who's an atheist, you can understand the psychology behind all their behavior, behind their thinking, why they act the way they do, why they have a worldview that's so different from yours. Because you understand that they don't see man as coming from the hand of God. Man is just a species that evolved over a period of millions of years. When you believe in God, it gives dignity to God's creation. I, I was talking to a man years ago. Uh, I won't, i just say, in one of these communities out here in Nebraska. Okay. <laughs> and so we were having this discussion on, on all of this, and, and, and he was one of these guys who had his master's and his doctorate degree in biology. And I forget the the name of what his major was. It's something that studies insects and all that kind of a thing. So he's going into all of this stuff and he's using words. I don't have a clue what in the world he's talking about. And he's telling me, he said, you know, the reason I don't believe in God is because, you know, when you read the book of Genesis, is you have two creation accounts. You have Genesis 1, then you have Genesis 2. Well, That's not true. you got one creation account. It's just Genesis 2 expands on The last day or the sixth day when God made man in in Genesis one. So he's going through all of this and he he thinks he's killing me in this debate as we're talking. So I reach and I pull out my Hebrew Bible. And so I said, I want you to show me right here my Hebrew Bible. where we've got two different creation accounts. He said, well, I can't read Hebrew. Well, I said, if you can't read Hebrew, then I guess you don't know what's in there then. So the only thing you can do is just believe what somebody told you. And I said, I'm explaining to you right now that there are no two accounts in Genesis 1 and 2. And now you can take my word for it, or you can believe what somebody else said. Well, he said, I don't think I'm going to change my opinion. I said, it looks like you and me got the same problem, because I'm not changing mine either. See? If, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be willing to stand for what you believe and stand strongly for it, even when they're throwing up all kinds of what they believe is evidence. In in your, your conversations with atheists, they will oftentimes claim there is no God, and here are some of the reasons. Number one, religion is only about man's desire to seek salvation from all the sordid aspects of the human predicament. So they say they can't cope with living in this world. Too many problems. They don't like it, so they need some way of escape. And that's what Mr. Marx said, Karl Marx, that, that communist man. He said religion is the opium of the masses. They need to get high in order to get along in this world. So They've got to have something to, to change their minds to help them function. I don't think that, 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 that's true at all. And, and then another reason people won't believe in God and they'll say that they're atheists, they'll say prayers go unanswered. Now, there are a lot of reasons why that may be. God may have answered some of your prayers and didn't answer some of mine. He may have answered some of mine, didn't answer some of yours, but but I I can tell you this, there's a lot to that, and it's it's far deeper than people understand. There's a scripture in the Proverbs that says, The prayer of an unrighteous man is an abomination to God. So here's a person that doesn't believe in God, but yet when trouble comes, they want to start saying things like, well, if there really is a God, I need your help, and would you do something, and and, and I'm in trouble right now. And then when God doesn't answer, they say, well, there's no God. Well, God is not a genie in a lamp. You just rub the bottle, and he's not a puppet on a string, and you just kind of jerk him around. It doesn't work like that at all. Prayer is connected with belief, and that's very plain in James chapter 5, the prayer of the... Prayer of faith. Scripture never talks about us praying a prayer of doubt, prayer of anxiety, a prayer of unbelief. I know we all have fears when we're passing through different things, and we can't fool God. God can see what's going on in your heart just like he can with mine. But I do know that scripture talks about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So that atheist who says, I am not going to believe in God because there are so many prayers that go unanswered, say to him, that that's not true. Abraham prayed the first prayer in the Bible for somebody to be healed, and God healed the ladies in that place. So Well, Moses prayed for his sister who ended up with leprosy. God healed his sister of the, the leprosy. Samuel prayed. Scripture says God thundered from the heavens. David prayed. Many times God answered, his prayers, that's what these psalms are for the most part about. These songs are prayers that people are singing. Yeah. I think it was uh, the um, King Hezekiah that wanted God to lengthen his days. And he turned his face to the wall and prayed and said, God lengthen my days. And that's exactly what God did. He prayed. Jesus prayed. The Bible says in Hebrews, he offered up prayers with, with strong tears, believing that God would answer His prayer. Jesus prayed on the mountain of transfiguration when he was changed in the presence of his disciples. One of which we know turned around and started writing different letters. Peter did. Heard throughout the scripture. Acts chapter uh, 10, scripture tells us that Cornelius didn't even know God, but he was doing good things. and God sent Peter to Cornelius and said, your prayers have been heard. The only prayer God hears from a sinner is a prayer of repentance prayer but they're trying to cry out to God to get to know God, but God answered. And then, of course, we don't want to forget that uh, when the saints prayed for uh, Peter when he was in jail, Acts chapter 12, the Bible makes it very plain that God opened up the prison for him through through the help of an angel. So whenever someone says to me that that God doesn't answer prayer. I just say it just depends on who you're talking to. If You talk to people who've never had prayer answered, then you're going to hear about people who've never had a prayer answered. You talk to people who've had a prayer answered, you'll hear from people that had prayer answered. He's answered prayers for me before. I can tell you about prayers that weren't answered. Sometimes when God doesn't do it, that doesn't necessarily mean no. It just means not yet. Not now. But when I had malaria as a young man over in in, uh, Jordan... And there's nobody, there's no way on this earth I was going to a Jordanian hospital. And I laid there in that bed and had the chills and had a fever. And that Iraqi man living in the house with me and my other roommate who went to high school with me, a guy named Rakid, he he was there. And and I had them put about eight or nine blankets or more on me just to try to keep me warm. And I'm just sitting there shaking. And I mean, life was terrible for me laying in that bed hadn't eaten anything in a day or so, day and a half longer. But, you know, when you're, when you're sick and you know you're not well and it doesn't feel like you're getting better, that's, that's, that's not a good feeling. And I got to where I was, uh, you know, just whatever down here, bile and stuff coming out. And I mean, I was very, very ill. And, and I grabbed my friend from high school. Pulled him close to me in a foreign country. I said, look. I said, if I die over here, you know my mom as well as I do, she's not getting on the plane coming to get me. I said She's not coming. And I said, my pop's not coming either. You know that. I'm in a foreign country. I said, if something happens to me tonight as I'm laying here, I said, you've got to pray till God comes. you got to pray until you touch God. And I said, here's what you have to pray. I said, you've got to pray number one that I haven't uh, finished the, the call that God has for me. I was only about 25, 26 then when this was going on. And I said, you've got to pray on the basis of that scripture. It says, his mercies are new every morning. And that's why I said, you pray. And, and then he sat down on the floor. My Iraqi friend, Athir, sat down on the floor, and they began to pray in the spirit. And as I was laying there in the bed, then I just kind of went to sleep. I went to sleep. Now, the next morning, this is what they told me. The next morning, they told me, they said, we thought we lost you. I said, well, what, what happened? They said, you, you were laying there, and it didn't look like you were breathing. Your body turned cold and said, we couldn't even get you to respond at all. Now, that was, that's their side. That's their testimony. I can tell you what happened as I was laying there. I thought I was dreaming, because in a dream, I was standing there, and it looked like Christ was standing there talking to me, and he said to me, you've got to go back down there. I said, oh, no, don't go back down here. I had a I was in heaven. Who wants to leave heaven when you're in a dream? No, no, we, we don't need to go back down there. Let's stay right here. He said, no, no, you, you've got to go back down there. And, and then I saw in that vision, he did something with his hand, and I saw in and third praying for me. I saw him praying for me. And when I woke up, I was totally well that next morning. I jumped out of that bed. We ran down through that little village called Mahata, and I was so happy to be healed and ready to eat and went off to school. So when somebody says to me, there is no God because God doesn't answer prayer, I just have to say I disagree. I disagree. Now, if he... he, If he hadn't answered any prayer for the person saying that, I don't have anything to say. I can only tell you that that's one time he answered a prayer, he answered a prayer for me. I can give you another one. When I was in South America, I ended up ill again. I don't know what it is about me and these overseas trips when I was younger. But I ended up very, very sick over there. And Tiffany and I weren't even married. I don't even know if we were engaged at the time. But she had called over to that house where I was staying. And she asked me, she said, now, uh, how are you doing over there? I said, I'm doing good. And I was way up in the mountains in Peru, far away from Lima, the, the, the uh, big city. And, and, and I told her, I'm, I'm doing all right. She said, no, no, I had a dream. You're over there and you're sick. So I said, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. And, and, and on this occasion, I've been laying in that bed for a couple of days and hadn't eaten at all. And I mean, I'm then okay. Then 28, I'm a skinny guy now. I was really skinny then. I didn't have any weight to lose, but laying there in that bed, I just I was losing weight, and I couldn't keep anything down. And, and that lady of the house, I can't remember her name, but she was Spanish speaking, and she was a Quechuan Indian. They had me stand with the 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 uh, the Wycliffe Bible translators. Had me stand with that family because at the time the plan was i was going to stay down there and, and work with them on some bible translations and, and stuff like that and um this this lady she came in she was saying to me in spanish i'm going to try to help you i knew that's what she was trying to say so i'm laying in the bed my bed's facing the courtyard on the other side of the courtyard is where her her brother lived. And so I watched as she walked out of the door, went down the hallway, went outside and she had a little pail and she's down in that grass and she's picking up shrubs and grubs and grass and all this stuff. She's putting all this stuff in there and then she goes back in, goes into the kitchen, adds some water and she's doing some stuff and she comes in there with a. A cup the size of a coffee cup like we would have. And, and she hands that to me. And I look in there and it's just muddy water with grass floating in it. And, and she says to me in Spanish, if, if you drink this, you'll get better. That's what she's trying to tell me. Now, I interpreted that if you drink this, boy, you're going to die. That's how I interpreted it. And so I just kind of waved her off and smiled and thank you very much. she went away and I just left that stuff never even bothered with it. But I did, I did pray, because I remember the story with Hezekiah. And I said, Lord, here I am again. I said, I've been serving you since I was a teenager. And I said, I really do need to cash in some of those chips, and, and I need you to heal me. I just, this is not right for me to be over here going, going through all of this. Went to sleep. Next morning again, got up, went down there to that kitchen, felt very, very good. Came back to the States, was preaching out in Delaware, in auditorium, school auditorium. I told the story, how I went there and got ill, wasn't feeling well, how Tiffany called and told me she had a dream, and then she prayed with me on the telephone, and I'm sure she kept praying for me throughout the rest of the time. I told that story about how I turned my face to that ball. I was just so sick. I said, oh, God, please, just, just heal me, touch me. A lady named Teresa came up to me, had a book in her hand. She was in that, that church where I was preaching. She asked me, what day, what month, when did this happen? I told her how it happened. She had right there scribbled out how God had put me on her heart for her to begin to pray for me. She prayed that day until God, she felt in her heart, God had made me whole. So That's another instance again. See, It's like that song says, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I ever do my part to win that soul to thee. That woman prayed. So, that atheist who says prayers go unanswered, I say I disagree. The third thing that atheists sometimes will say, they'll say there's evil in the world, so there can't be a God. Say, look at all the bad things that are taking place dictators, rape, starvation. But what you ought to tell them is turn it around, look at the good. There are a lot of good things in the world that's taking place, too, whether it's somebody working in a hospital, helping people clean their wound or whatever might be. Atheists will tell you that God doesn't exist. They'll say that, but we need to let them know that God says atheism doesn't exist. Because Romans chapter one makes it very plain. that inside of a person's heart, they know they have that knowledge that there's a God. They suppress that knowledge. That's why they struggle with it. If there is no God, why are they troubled by something that's not real? I'd be so disturbed by that. Well, I can tell you this. I'm annoyed by mosquitoes and flies. and I took some kids years ago to Mexico for a missions meeting where I had to preach, we went to one restaurant. I think every fly in Mexico was there waiting on us. I honestly believe that. And, And you know how they're doing. They're just rubbing their hands, just waiting on you to get close. But it was hard to even eat because they were were all over us. But if someone says to me, as I'm going into a place, there's a mosquito in the room, I'm looking around for it, you see? I'm looking around, I'm listening, and and that's because of of a prior experience. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be worried about what a mosquito is because I wouldn't know what it is. But then why are the atheists so annoyed and so troubled by the notion of God if there is no God? Well, if there isn't a God, then if they're not annoyed by God, they must be annoyed by God's people. They must be annoyed by religious people. Just the idea that religious people have a belief in their heart. But, But the problem is there's an inward disposition in every human being that naturally inclines them to believe in something they cannot see. That's why in every culture on this earth, no matter where you go on this planet in the history of the world, everybody believes in some kind of God. The most ancient texts that we have available to us have some kind of God in it, some kind of religion. Yeah, that, that is the way it is. And, and atheists want to make it seem like it's natural to say that you don't believe in God. If I tell someone, don't focus on the bad, but focus on the good, or someone says to me, look at all the evil or all the bad in the, in the world, then I'm thinking if you're able to identify what is good and what is bad, then there has to be something inside of us that gives us the ability to discern what's good and what's bad. How do we, how do we know that, that one adult slapping another adult is wrong, but yet someone escorting an elderly lady across the street is right? There has to be something deep down on the inside. Now, the evolutionists would say, the atheists would say, that this feature in us appeared randomly. But the Bible says we have a soul. God made man. Man became a living soul. And in the living soul is seated the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's why God programmed us this way. This this is the way that the king... Has, has made us, and I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing. So to be able to identify good and bad, a, a person, even if they say they're atheists, they at least acknowledge the existence of some sort of way of behavior or morality. But if you acknowledge there's a right way to act and a wrong way to act, then there has to be some kind of universal law that governs people's actions so that in every society people know you're not supposed to steal or commit adultery. That's because in every culture on this planet, no matter where you go, the Ten Commandments, for the most part, are embedded in every human heart. Everybody in every culture go into the jungles of Laos, go into the jungles of Brazil. You can go into the mountains of Tibet, go into the Siberian plains. Everybody knows it's wrong to lie. They know that you're not supposed to be with someone else's spouse. Now, they may practice polygamy. But they know of those, if that man has several wives, you're not supposed to be with a wife that's with him. They know that. See, and People know that murder is not a good thing. So you have to, you have to turn around and begin to ask th- that atheist some questions. They say, I, I can't believe in a God where there's evil in the world. So pose a question. Say, if, if you have kids or your neighbor has kids and you know That there are evil people in the community, like being able to get online and check the names of the people who are on the child offender list. If you know there are bad people in the community, folks that have murdered people, people that have done things that are wrong, why do you let them live? Seeing how you know that there's evil people around and your kids are around and you love them. How come you haven't gone out and taken care of all of them and eradicated everybody that you believe is bad? Seeing that you think that God shouldn't let evil exist or persist or persist. Why do you allow it to to, to exist? You see, then, then that atheist quickly realized that they're no better than the God they hate. Because God didn't make man so that every day he could just go out and just stamp out evil. He made man with a free will, the ability to choose. That's part of of the soul that he's given to us. Now, now don't ever forget this. No one is born an atheist. Nobody is born an atheist. That is an acquired disposition. That has to be taught to someone the same way we teach a person Christianity, and then they convert. That has to be taught to someone the same way you take a baby and teach a baby not to like other people of different colors. There's not a baby in this world that's ever been born racist, never. Somebody had to teach a child, you don't like white people, you don't like black people, you you have to hate Hispanic people and hate the Native American Indian and you have to hate people that are different from you. Someone has to teach somebody that. Little infants, they'll just play and have fun with anybody. See? So nobody comes into this world as an atheist. That means that at some point in that so-called atheist life, he ran into some religious people. He was turned off by what he saw, and then he made up his mind and said, the whole thing is a sham. It's not even real. It's a sham. See, that's the psychology of it. It's a sham. But think about it. If given the same opportunities, if they saw the right examples of Christian virtue, they could change their mind again. If they saw what was wrong and they converted to atheism, Imagine what would happen if they saw what was right or heard what was right. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We'll we'll show you this in action with the Apostle Paul when he goes to Athens. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, you got to understand, Athens was a, in ancient times. Athens was a place that was popularly known for all of its gods. It even used to be a proverb one, uh, uh, written by one of the, the ancient Latin writers named Petronius, where he said, you're more likely to find a god in Athens than a man. That's how many different gods they worship. Verse 17, therefore disputed Paul in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons in the market every day with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans. Now the Epicureans was a group of philosophy students who followed a man named Epicurus. And they believed that the material universe, universe was a product of chance. They were atheists. And they believed as Epicureans, they believed that the chief end of all human beings should be that of happiness and pleasure. Whatever makes you feel good. That's what you do. And then it says of the Stoics. Now the Stoics, they were determinists. They believed that there was a God somewhere and everything was just kind of wound up like a clock and there's nothing that just happens on its own. You drop a pencil, then that's because it's been determined you're supposed to drop that, that pencil. And listen, listen to what they said. And some, some said, what will this babbler say? Others some. He seemeth to be a setter of forth of strange or foreign gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So this is a a very religious place. He's got some atheists he's dealing with, and then he's got some people who are predestinarian, and he's also we're going to see he's agnostics. Look at verse nineteen. They brought him to the Areopagus, that's the big court up on the hill in Athens, and, and they said, "We want to know about this strange doctrine, for you're bringing." foreign teachings to our ears and we know therefore we would know therefore what these things mean for the athenians give themselves to nothing else in their spare time i'm paraphrasing other than wanting to hear and know some new thing paul stood in the midst of mars hill and said you men of athens i perceive that in all things you're too superstitious notice he's accusing them of the very things that atheists accuse christians of being superstitious for as I passed by, beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. Now, in this sentence here, talking about the unknown God, it's the word agnostic. So here are people that are saying, OK, there may be a God. We just don't know anything about him. We don't know who he is. We don't know if we can have a relationship with him. So now we know Paul's preaching to atheists, predestinarians. He's got agnostics that are there that he's talking to. And then he preaches the sermon, verse 24. God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. That's all they had were temples made with hands in Athens. Neither is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. They brought all kinds of gifts to these Different idols, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. that They should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Notice he's not quoting any Old Testament scripture and talking to these people. He's just giving it to them the same way you talk to a philosopher. For in him we live and move, this is actually a quotation of a philosopher, for in him we live and move and have our beings certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not think of the Godhead like unto gold, silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance to all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection, they mocked. Others said, We will hear again of this matter. But you can see in verse thirty-four, some people believed. Some people believed. So when you we're talking to an atheist, it's not necessary to quote chapter and verse. Just look, Ephesians says this. Jude says this revelation says this they may not even know what that is anyhow just tell the story if you want the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to come upon somebody just tell the story you cannot make anybody become a Christian and sometimes just debating about stuff doesn't really bring about anything of any substance and value Paul said we should even abstain from debates that really don't bring about any kind of fruit at all So that's why when someone says to me there's an atheist going to be in that funeral, I just simply tell the story. I preach the gospel and I let the convicting power of the Holy Spirit begin to work and to change. them. Now, let me uh, conclude this way. If if you're talking with someone doesn't believe in God, take the offensive. Make make them define their own terms. If somebody says to you, I don't believe in God, ask them, say, give me a definition of God. If somebody says to you that that. Uh, there's too much bad in this world, then ask for a definition of bad. How do you know there's such a thing as evil? Where do you get all these words from? You're using all these adjectives. Where where does this come from if we don't have God? see. And then don't be afraid to own everything that the Bible says. There may be stuff in here you don't like. I can't change that. Maybe stuff in here I don't like. I can't change that. God opened up the floor and the core and his family went God basically sent them to hell with their clothes on, you know, just judged them because they had went against the man of God Moses. That may be a terrible thing when somebody's looking at that, but I didn't write the book, folks. I didn't write it, you didn't write it. He put this all together. If you own it, then you don't have to feel bad about trying to defend something that you that you think or somebody else thinks is offensive. Generally, when someone says, I don't like certain things in the Bible, what they're saying is, I want a God that fits my belief, that fits my ideal, my conception of what a God is supposed to be. That's the kind of God that I want. Then you have to tell them, then that's not the kind of God you're going to find in the Bible. What you're going to find in Scripture is the maker of heaven and earth. Now, The way I want to finish this is uh, have, having read through so much of the technical language of that evolution I I put together almost like in chapter and verse what, what I believe are the basic beliefs of evolution if they were going to tell the the story of creationism how what they believe is creation if an atheist was going to tell you how he believes the world came into existence and I put put it together almost like it's it's 14 verses but I'm going to just read it. You listen to this. In the beginning, it's about 4.6 billion years ago, chance created the universe. Verse 2, the earth was non-existent. Even still, the process of natural selection, survival of the fittest, was real and present. By chance, the Cambrian explosion, that's the big bang, occurred 530 million years ago, establishing all anatomical designs. Verse 5, for life's origin derived from original chemical constituents of atmosphere and ocean, but just 65 million years ago, a large extraterrestrial body struck the earth, destroying all the dinosaur species. Verse 7, nonetheless, through chance came the age of the invertebrates, Creatures without spines and bones. Then by chance came the age of the fishes and by chance came the age of the reptiles. Verse 10. Moreover, chance was the cause of the age of mammals. And later, by chance, the age of man appeared. Verse 12. Four million years ago in a struggle among organisms for reproductive success, a small lineage of primates evolved upright posture on African savannas. Thus, humans arose as an accidental and dependent outcome of thousands of connected events whose circumstances, had they happened differently, would not have led to human consciousness. Verse 14. So chance made everything, and it was good. That's how I put it together. But, but, but here, listen, listen to this, though. I'm going to read it again. You, you, I read this earlier, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. So God created man in his own image in the image of God created he them, male, female, created he them. Folks, listen to that. If if you can put all of that faith and to believe in what i just read in that paragraph about the evolutionist why not just believe genesis 1 why not just believe that god made all of this rather than thinking that somehow chance could create everything as if chance is actually a person Chance can't create that. You can't get that kind of orderliness out of chaos. I've told you before, you can go out here to a Dipsy dumpster, throw in a tire, you can put in a steering wheel, and you can throw in probably an orange or something like that, throw in a stick of dynamite. You're not going to get a Cadillac that comes out of that. But there are people that honestly believe that this is how all of these things that you see every day came into being. The intricacy of the eyeball human fingerprint the heart that pumps blood throughout that body the day that comes when somebody expires and gives up the ghost and dies people honestly believe that emerged over a process or evolved over a process of millions of years folks i'm telling you right now we come from the hand of god and that is where we need to stand let's pray father we're grateful tonight that your word is true you give us opportunities to share our faith and to talk about how wonderful your word is? Every day, Lord, we come across people who do not know you in the pardon of their sins. Give us the courage. Give us the words to be able to share the good news of redemption. And Father, when we're in our family gatherings, help us to be bold in our faith and not ashamed. Help us not to be intimidated by the unbelievers and their doubts. Father, we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen.